Take your Bibles, go to 1 John chapter 1. It was in the early days of the game of golf that uh, a particular Scotsman made an appointment with the President of the United States. His name was Ulysses S. Grant. And his intent was to bring the game of golf to the White House. So he scheduled this appointment and he and the President met together and uh, the guy had a golf club and particularly a driver. That's the big fat one for those those of you who don't know golf. And uh, had a number of golf balls and a couple of tees and He explained the game of golf to the president, and after explaining it to him, he said, now I want to show you how this works. Remember, the the object of the game is to hit this ball down the yard and eventually to this area we call a green, and on the green is a hole, and the ideal is to take... The idea is to take the ball from this place to that place in the fewest number of hits into the hole. And the president said, okay, I got that. He said, okay, so let me show you. So the guy took the ball on the tee and he put it down and he lined up next to it, took that driver, and he took a big heavy swing, swack right into the dirt next to the ball, and it threw dirt all over the president of the United States. Uh, Not exactly the best entry into this explanation. And so he said, well, let me, let me try that again. So he lines up again and he takes a big swing, swack right into the dirt again. More dirt flies on the president. By this time, he's getting a little perturbed. He's not used to, as the president of the United States, having people throw dirt in his face. And so the guy says, I'm sorry, let me, let me show you. So one more time, the exact same thing. He hits the dirt all over the president. The ball hasn't moved yet. To which President Grant looked at him and said, There seems to be a fair amount of exercise in this game, but what is the purpose of the ball again? That's a good reminder that we as individuals, and particularly we as a church, can exercise all manner of stuff. Programs, presentations, all kinds of stuff we can do and yet still miss the point of what it's all about. And so here we are at the end of our little series on purpose and who we are as a people. And so this final installment of this mini-series is entitled, We Are Encouragers. And the reason it is because our fifth point of purpose, according to our bylaws, or excuse me, our constitution is that we are about the business of maintaining and building the fellowship of this body. And so we call it to match our ease. We are encouragers with one another. The problem with this statement is that we use, in particularly the word fellowship, which is the basis for encouragers uh, in the title, we use this term a lot and we don't always stop to think about what it means. As a matter of fact, many people, if you ask them what is fellowship, then they're going to say, well, it's a class party of some kind. We're going to have a youth fellowship. Well, that means we're going to have a party somewhere and there's probably going to be pizza or whatever else. The problem with that is, that's not a great definition according to the biblical word fellowship. In 1 John chapter 1, there's some statements that John makes that kind of drive the point home for us. And actually, we're going to be in verses 1 through 4, but I want to start in verse 4. 
Now, I'm not there yet, but I'll be there in just a second. Let me tell you how I want to get there. You ever have times in your life when you know something's missing in your spiritual life? You just sense that everything's not right. One of my school assignments uh, years ago now was given by a professor who said this, I want you to go home and I want you to think through your Christian life. And be as detailed as you can be, but take periods of time. And what I want to know is, what were the high points of your spiritual life? What were the low points? And how did those connect with one another? Essentially, what he wanted us to do was to draw a graph of our spiritual lives from the time we made a profession of faith, believing in Jesus Christ as Savior, until the current day, just map it out. Well, mine was like yours probably is. And that is, I had points where I knew that I was growing. You know, we call them peaks or mountaintops, whatever you want to call them. I had those times that I could go back to and say, yeah, you know, at that point, God was very real to me. I knew that everything was just right in my Christian life. But there were those other times that were the opposite of the peaks. Those were the valley points. Those were the points where I knew that everything was wrong, or it just seemed like everything was wrong. My relationship with God was not vibrant and alive. It was just kind of there. And by the way, if you happen to be here today and that's you, then I hope that you'll stay tuned for this message. Maybe it's a good place for us just to start to put ourselves into the story. Let me ask you this question. I've asked it to you before. You'll hear it again from time to time. Has there ever been a time in your life when you were closer with God in your relationship than you are today? One more time. Has there ever been a time when your life with God was more vibrant and alive than it is today? And if your answer is yes, I can remember that there were times that my Christian life was much more vibrant for me, then I'm going to tell you you're in the wrong place today. Because the goal for us in our Christian life is to continue to mature, to be more with God, and live the with God life. Now, I understand there are those peaks and there are those valleys, but ultimately those all need to move us closer to God as we go. So if you're here today and you know your spiritual life is not where it necessarily needs to be, then you fall into that category where you know something's not exactly right. Something's missing. So as I was looking over that assignment, after I graphed mine out, one of the things that struck me was the basic question, okay, so if I had peaks, what was it that triggered me off of the peak and headed for the valleys? Now, that's a good way for us to think. Instead of waking up one day thinking, all of a sudden, I'm in a valley here, maybe we should stop and say, okay, what is it that moves me off of those times that are most alive for me with Christ? And while you do that, don't forget to include in your evaluation your level of fellowship with other Christians. Because it's true in my life, it's been true in many others that I've talked to through the years, I suspect it's true in yours, that if you're not where you need to be with God, there's a good chance you're not where you need to be with God's family either. That's the whole point of us being encouragers with one another. We need each other. 
And so one of the points of purpose for us as a church is that we understand the need and we emphasize the need that we have to invest our lives in one another, to come in fellowship, that is a mutual investment of life in one another that helps us continue to make progress in our spiritual growth and development. John gets that. As a matter of fact, I use this particular passage of John because of the way he introduces his whole letter. Now, the theme of this letter of 1 John is love. He writes it, he says, so that you can know that you have eternal life. That's part of his gospel. And this one, he comes and he talks multiple times about our love for one another. And in getting into that message, he says, something's not there. Something's missing. I get that from verse 4 where it says, And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. What that says to us is John recognizes that something is not complete there. And it so moves him that he says, I need to write this letter to help y'all get on the same page with me. If that's not enough for you, the latter part of verse 3 helps us. And I'll just read all of verse 3. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And the implication is that the fellowship is not what it needs to be. When you're spiritually cold... Check your fellowship level. Let's look at this passage in a little more detail now and come back to what it has to say for us as a church in the 21st century. When our relationship with Christ is right, then we're connected with fellow believers. But when we get off base spiritually, there is this lack of connection or a disconnection, if you will, that occurs with God's people. Satan's a master at getting us into position to fall away. God's design is that we come together as a family. That means we need each other. Let's look at the way John approaches this. We see where he's going in verses 3 and 4. Now let's see how he got there. So he says in verse 1, that which was from the beginning. Okay, let me just stop there. You know, I never can get through a whole passage without stopping. Does that one clause that I've read, does that point you anywhere else in the New Testament that you can think of, like maybe John chapter 1? In the beginning was the Word. Now, Word in that context, he's using to refer to Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. He's talking about Jesus Christ. So from the time we start marking history, Jesus Christ already was. That's what he's saying. So now back to 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning. He's starting at the same place that he started his gospel. He's pointing us to Jesus Christ. That which was from the beginning. Now listen to what he says. Which we have heard. Which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. What we find here is this basic point of reference from John. 
as he comes to address that which is not right. It's incomplete. There's not the fellowship that there needs to be. There's not the connection that needs to happen. And consequently, his joy is less than it should have been. By the way, let me just ask you this one this morning. How is your joy level this morning in your Christian life? One of the, uh, well, I don't know. I started to say most fun. Maybe it's one of the most disturbing things to do is to sit back and watch people who profess to be Christians and try to measure their joy at any particular moment. You know that some of the most bitter people in the planet are Christian people. Now, why is that? And the answer is because of other Christian people. Or not. Are you there this morning? Okay. You don't know the people I'm talking about? I'll give you names if you want. Okay. Some of the most bitter people on the planet are ones who claim to be Christian people. And I want to say, then where's your joy? You know, some of those old evangelist tricks. You know, take that frown and turn it upside down. How about I smack you in the face and then I'll smile. How's that? Sorry. That's a little violent for Christian talk, I know. Where is our joy as Christian people? Let me tell you something. John would look at us and he'd say, something's missing here. One of the greatest sources of joy is other Christians, if we get it right. So that's where John's coming from here. And so in getting us to that point... He's emphasizing a fundamental truth that we need to see, all right? I'm going to make this one statement a couple of different times, but here it is, and I'm going to emphasize it a different way. Fellowship grows from shared experience. And I'm emphasizing the experience part of this first. But look again in those first three verses. John comes from a personal point of reference, and he's talking about his experience, Particularly, he's talking about his experience with Jesus Christ, and I think that's expanded into that circle of disciples that he used to hang out with. But think about John's experience. Let's don't just take it at face value. Let's step back for a minute and plow a little bit on these first three verses. John is saying, I had personal experience with Jesus Christ, the eternal one, the Son of God, our Savior, our Lord. I was there, is what he says. So let's flesh that out. I know that I've used this before as an example, but it's it's one of my favorites, and that's why you're going to hear it again now. You remember that point in the Gospels where it says that Jesus and his disciples went to a particular village. I think it was a Samaritan village. And the people of the village would have nothing to do with Jesus. In fact, they were just flat rude to Jesus. And so on their way out of town, James and John, who had a nickname, by the way. Anybody remember their nickname? The sons of thunder. Yes! What a manly title for a couple of brothers. They didn't get that because they were timid and meek and sitting in the corner going, oh, well, well, just whatever you say, sir, that's fine, okay, whatever. These are the guys who get in your face and get after it with you. The sons of thunder. And so they're encountering now this group of people in this Samaritan village, a bunch of nobodies. Who do they think they are talking to Jesus like that? Don't they know that he's the Messiah? And so what do they do? Remember the story? They say to Jesus, 
Want us to nuke them? Go back and read the story. We'll call down fire from heaven. Whoa. Now, if I'm one of the other disciples, I'm going, yeah, 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 yeah. Get them. This same John, one of the sons of thunder, let's nuke them, comes to write the letter of 1 John. And the theme of the letter of 1 John is love one another. Hello? I don't know what you did with John, but send him back out, would you? What happened to the son of thunder? Now you're talking about loving each other. How do you think he got to that point? He walked with Jesus. That which I've heard. What else do you think John heard from Jesus? Blessed are the merciful. You know that John hated that beatitude. What are the things that John's referring to when he says, we heard it, our hands handled it? Just picture, one of the best ways to study the New Testament, in the Gospels especially, is to insert yourself into the story. Can you see Jesus as he's walking from town to town, this group of disciples following him around, most notably those 11, 12, right there next to him? You see them as they're walking and just having conversation stuff, just general kind of stuff. And you see them joking around with one another. These guys were pretty young for the most part. And you see the interaction that's going on with those disciples and Jesus saying something to them, and then all of a sudden Jesus says, Stop a second. See that guy out there? Sowing seed out. In the, that reminds me of this truth of the kingdom. And then Jesus starts talking about what we call the parable of the sower, of the seed. John saw that. He heard that. This is real stuff. This is not just some make-believe story that we come to. Real people involved in real circumstances. And those circumstances change this guy's life. To the point that he says, I want to share with you what I've experienced that's the whole point of these first four verses. I want to tell you what I've experienced because something's missing in your life. And because it's missing in your life, he learned enough to say it's also missing in my life then because we're one together. So let me tell you some things. It's a great way for John to start his letter. It's a great thing for us to do to stop every once in a while and consider what he saw, what he heard, and the things that happened with them and all of that stuff. Imagine what it must have been like for them standing in the crowd around Jesus, these 11 disciples, including John. And Jesus walks up after crying, which they hadn't seen a whole lot of that, I suppose. I don't really know. But he walks up to this place and he says, Lazarus, come out of there. It's a tomb. There ain't nobody coming out of there except Lazarus. Imagine the buzz between the disciples when that happened. Real stuff. Real life. Not any of this dead Christianity that seems to be so prevalent and popular in America these days. The real deal. And John takes that to the streets with his people. He takes it and writes it down. I want you to experience what I've experienced. Because in that, you 
make our fellowship complete and our joy complete. What he's saying with that is, as we come to this idea of fellowship, it has to be centered in Jesus Christ. Now, I know what you're saying. It doesn't really have to be. We can have fellowship. We're just on the same grounds. We can have fellowship. Yeah, that's true. You have Friday night football, for instance. Okay. No, let's take it a little more serious grounds. Let's take Afghanistan. On the same ground in Afghanistan, you have the Taliban and you have the UN forces, most notably American forces we're concerned about here. Now, they're on the same ground, sharing a common experience, uh, but they had no fellowship there. Right? By the way, that analogy I just gave you is the picture of many Baptist churches in America today. Warring parties occupying the same space around the same basic ideals... But they refuse fellowship. I was on a plane Friday morning. Got up, drove to Houston, got on a plane. This is one of the planes that I went out to Midland, Odessa. No, I wasn't going to view of a call or an interview anywhere. Don't get your hopes up. I'm here. <laughs> I got on this plane, and it's one of those planes that have two seats on one side and one row of seats on the other side, right? They put me on the one row side because I offset the ballast, I guess. I don't know. It was also one of those planes that's small enough that when it came time to land, the stewardess came out and said, those of you who are on these row of seats right here, you're over the wings. You need to hand crank the wheels down for us. That's how small that plane was. Man, it didn't really do that. Now, here's the picture. It's like every other flight I've ever taken on a public transportation thing. I've gone with private pilots and it's a different story. Every commercial flight I've ever been on, you have a plane full of people who are in the same space but have no fellowship. Isn't it interesting how people get on a plane and it's, they just kind of walk down the aisle like this and they don't want to look at anybody, but they can't help but look at some of them going, ooh, man, cool. <laughs> same space but no fellowship. How many churches do you know like that? Do you think that was God's ideal for the church? To just get a bunch of people who have a shared experience of a conversion somewhere and just throw them into a room so that they can live their own little separate private lives. I don't believe that's God's intent at all. We're a body. By definition, that means we have to work with one another. Codependent in the best sense of that term. We need one another. And yet so many churches and so many approach to church is this privatized kind of, I'll do it myself, it's just me and God and, and I, I don't really need anybody else. There's a theological term for that, hogwash. You do need other people. One of the reasons that we say this is part of our purpose as a church is because we recognize that we can't do this life alone. So we need each other. And John points out for us, it, this whole thing called fellowship is grounded in the person of Jesus Christ. And he takes it the step further by giving us his own personal kind of a testimony in just a few words here. He lets us know that fellowship grows from shared experience. Now, I've seen that true, that, 
that one principle I've seen true in this church. I've been here 14 months now. Some of you are thinking, is that all? Sure seems like you've been here longer than that. 14 months. Let me give you a couple of examples of how I've seen this principle played out. Shared experience is the growth ground for fellowship. Here's one of the places I've seen it. This church at one time had a killer softball team. Or at least that's what the people who played on it tell me. They were good. They were better than good. Should have gone pro, probably. (laughs) I have have thoroughly, because I used to play a lot of softball a long time ago. And uh, so I I love sitting down and listening to y'all talk about your old softball days. You see, you you need to see this from my vantage point. I'm coming in, and I'm, you know, 50-whatever, and... uh, and I'm listening to people who are roughly my age talk about how much fun they had playing softball what turns out to be three decades ago. But I love listening to the stories because they can do, and they start talking about that, especially if you get several of them in one group, and they go back to that right now. I mean, they're back in the day and reliving the joy of those times. You know what? That's a good thing. That proves that fellowship grows in shared experience. Let me give you another example. And this one I love even more than the softball thing. I was giving those guys a hard time just a minute ago. But I love hearing those stories. But I love, love this one. Almost the day I got here, maybe not exactly the day, but pretty close to the day I got here, uh, somebody who used to be here and is gone now started telling me about the greatest year in Crestwood's life. Actually, it was just a couple of weeks. But it was in the aftermath of the hurricanes that went through here not too long ago. And I listened, even today, I listened to the stories of how you as a church body came together in those days. And the experience of a hurricane and better said the experience of the fallout from the hurricane and those days that came after when you were living in each other's homes or living out in the yard of somebody else's home or staying up here at the church and going out on chain gangs and cutting trees off of houses and all of those kinds of things, mud outs and all of that, when you as a church came together in a shared experience and even today that bears fruit in your lives. When you've had a, an experience like that and you share it with another group of people, there's a bond that happens there. And, and that's the picture of what fellowship is. It is as we go through this war called life together, because of Jesus Christ, we have each other to take us through. Fellowship is so much more than just a social engagement somewhere. Matter of fact, you can have fellowship and never even need a social engagement, but The way we do it is we get it backwards. Well, let's throw a social engagement and we'll build fellowship. Not necessarily. A lot of those shared experiences we have at those parties that we have is two or three people go off into one corner and four or five go off into another corner and one person like me just walk around going, hello, is there a place for me? Let me tell you, don't miss what I just said. Because churches are full of people who are not connected in a little circle somewhere and they're wandering around for a short period of time going, is there a place for me? And when there's not, they're gone. 
John starts off his whole letter. Let me tell you what I experienced. And the implication of that is, let me tell you about Jesus who changed my life. And he changed it so much that now I want you to be part of it with me. That's the picture that we have here. The problem with what I've just spent about five minutes talking about is that that's in the past. We don't have a softball team anymore. Now, we probably could if some of you want to play. Knock yourselves out. I'll come watch you. I ain't running, okay? It ain't happening. Well, if you put Bluebell on one of the bases, I'll run to that base. (laughs) But slowly, I'll run slowly. Those things are in the past. I'm not asking for another hurricane so that we can build the fellowship again, okay? I'm not praying that prayer, sorry. But I'll tell you what, we are doing some things today. We don't just look backwards and say, boy, if we could just do that again. We're doing things today that help us get there. Now, by the way, these things also help us on the other ease that we've been talking about in our purpose. For instance, this coming Saturday, a ministry that's centered in our church, it's us, his hands and feet. We're going to go over to Koontz. Actually, I think it's happening here, right, Ann? It's over in Koontz. Okay. Uh, so we're going to go to Koontz and we're going to provide a meal for the first responders who are over there. Just as a way of saying thank you for what you do, but also as a way of saying we're here for you as a resource for you, spiritual and otherwise. We care about you. And by the way, God loves you and we have a great message for you in life. Okay. This Saturday, that's us. And some of you are going, I didn't know about that. Well, now you know, so sign up, okay? When church is over, and uh, Elkins is back there, wave at a man. She's on the back row. Uh, you catch her, and she'll get you signed up, okay? Now, we're going to go do that over there, but one of the byproducts of that is that we're going to spend time with one another. It is a shared experience that we'll have. And we'll begin to form some bonds there as we do that. Here's another one. Coming up very soon, not as soon as Saturday, But one day with God, it's a a prison ministry opportunity. Now, by the way, whether you knew it or not, we have some people in our church who are involved in prison ministry. And some of you are going, oh, my goodness, I could never do that. Okay, I get that. Some of you are going, well, I'd love to do that. This is Brian Chisholm. Wave your hand at him, Brian. This is the guy you need to see, okay? If you want to be part of that, because we have people in our church who want to do that kind of ministry, and I've watched them bond together. This one day with God, it's a, it's a program where prisoners' kids come in for a day. And they need people like us to be able to go in there and help with that to make sure it all goes the way it's supposed to go and all that. Brian can give you the down low on all of that. But the bottom line is that it gives us a common point of service. That's last week's, ministry, uh, last week's message. But in doing the service, it gives us bonds with one another, a shared experience. If you want to help with that, you need to see him today because paperwork has to be turned in like today or tomorrow and you need to catch him today, okay? If you have questions, catch him after church. So that means you can't run off too soon. Same for Ann. You can't run off too soon so people can catch you. These are opportunities for us to do things together that are more than just showing up and having cake and cookies. It's making a difference in this community for the good of the community and for the cause of Christ. Here's another one for you. You don't want to sit and listen to me preach? I have a perfect opportunity for you not to have to do that. Butch, come on up tell them. Butch represents our missions committee, all right? Here's a new development that he's going to tell you about. 
and I'm just going to sit back here and mind my own business. Howdy. I have the pleasure of uh, serving on our mission committee. And uh, back in uh, April, we started doing a uh, outreach at the apartment complex in town. And it's been a burden on people's hearts for a while. And we've been wanting to bring the message to them. We started with our kids and getting them to bond with us. And as we do that, then they see the love that we have for their kids. And parents want that and they start drawing to it and they start standing around and listening and then our adults start visiting and sharing with them as well well for the last couple of years it's been a desire of some of our people to bring the church to them we uh, are not supposed to just sit in our pews we're supposed to bring it out to them and somebody else had this vision a couple of thousand years ago too Jesus brought the church to the people and that's what we're trying to do and doing that and we're going to call it Crestwood off campus like he said, you get to skip the 11 o'clock service. We're going to be there. We're going to sing and worship. And then we're going to split up and we're going to have a children's church. We're also going to have a Bible study for the adults. And we need volunteers for a lot of things. One, I don't sing. So if there's anybody who likes to sing, I would be happy for you all to come and help us lead worship. We need volunteers to help with the kids. We need volunteers to help with the setup and the teardown. And we also need teachers. Um, for adults and for the children. So if any of you are interested in that and reaching out, please get with anybody on the missions committee, call the church office or go to the Crestwood website and sign up. And there should be a sign-up also in our lobby here. So if anybody can help us in ministering to our people here, just step up and do it. Thanks. All right. Thank you, Butch. So here's the picture. Remember what I said. The basic statement is shared experience helps us to grow fellowship. And I just mentioned three. There are all kinds of other opportunities. Sunday school, Bible study classes. One of the great things about small groups, like we do those, is you can connect with people. Okay? Shared experience is a breeding ground for Christian fellowship. Don't miss the fact that it's centered in Christ and it's for the cause of Christ. But the bleed over for us, the overflow for us, is that we connect better with each other. You're sitting in this... Let me just get you to look around a little bit. In five seconds, can you see at least one person that you have no clue who they are in this room? <laughs> Time's up. How would you ever get to know them? We're not even a large church by most standards, but in this size church, how are you ever going to get to know some of those people? They may be going, th going through something that your experience helps them. Oh, by the way, that takes me to the last point. I'm almost done, actually. This one would be much shorter than the first one. But another thing that John tells us here is not that... Let me make sure I get the wording right. Fellowship grows with shared experience. It is that fellowship grows with shared experience. I just emphasized the experience part, and I want to emphasize the shared part. You know what John's doing in these three verses, four verses? He's saying... My experience with Christ is going to help you. And because it helps you, it helps us. How long has it been since you sat down with some people and the whole conversation was about what God is teaching you in your life these days? 
I tell you what, you want to have a lot of fun in life? Become a student of humanity. Okay? Just adopt the basic thing that says, whenever I go where there are people, I'm going to be a student and I'm going to watch them. It's better than going to the zoo, I promise you. Okay? People are weird. You know what, you know what the definition for weird is? Not like me. Anything not like me is weird by definition. All right? So just kind of begin that process. When you go out somewhere, just watch people. And now I want to bring it into church, okay? Let's be church people watchers for a little bit. You know what's intriguing to me? you got a bunch of people gathered together. And maybe they know each other a little bit, but not a whole lot. You set them in the same room and listen to what they talk about. The thing that draws them together is Jesus Christ in the first place. We put them in a room and they start talking, and he's the last thing that they want to talk about most of the time. We'll talk about the weather. We'll talk about the sports stuff that's going on. By the way, football season's upon us. (laughs) I'm a Saints fan this year, not a Cowboys fan. Okay, I'll be a Cowboys fan too. Isn't it amazing how we, for some reason shy away from talking about Jesus Christ in our conversation, even with Christians. Not John. (laughs) He starts off with a bang. Let me tell you about my experience with Jesus Christ. I, I was telling the earlier service, really hadn't intended to say this, but it came out then, I might as well say it here too. When I was in Hobbs, New Mexico, serving the church out there, uh, I had 30 youth workers that were part of the youth ministry, uh, over 100 kids and these 30 workers. And so I was uh, regularly trying to disciple the workers so they could disciple the kids. It's a great model since Jesus gave it to us. Uh, and uh, so I poured myself into these workers and we had weekly meetings and uh, we did a lot of different things in those. But one of the things I tried to do was to bring them along in their spiritual growth. And so I would come in and ask them, you know, simple yet difficult questions like, What's God doing in your life this week? It's amazing how many blank stares I get even today when I ask that question. What's God doing in your life? What's going on in your life that is so bad that if God doesn't come through, you're sunk? And where's God in your life? All the problems that you have, where's God in that? Simple questions that are really difficult for us. And so one of the questions that I asked and part of some teaching stuff that I was doing uh, about biblical faith and uh, how that really, not what you hear on TV so much as what the Bible teaches about it. And uh, so I, at one point I said, so where's God in your life in this? And what are you trusting God for today based on his revealed word to you and his promise in your life from Scripture? What are you trusting God for? If I'd have known that this one smart aleck teacher was going to continue to use that question against me 30 years later, however many years it's been, 20-something. Every once in a while, I get this Facebook message from this one teacher. Hey, Mark, what do you believe in God for today? Well, whose business is that of yours? What business? Leave me alone. That's been a long time ago. But you see, the reason that it pushes me is because it reminds me of something that I kind of want to forget some days. And that is that God is alive and God is at work in my life and that God does have something to say to me. And so when she asked me that question, it brings me back to, okay, God, I'm sorry for walking away from you. You see, if you don't have an experience with God, 
You don't have anything to share. So where is God in your situation today? Do you realize that the stuff you're going through and what God is doing in your life to take you through it, you realize that somebody else in this very room probably has the exact same problem. And one of the great beautiful things about us as a church is God puts us together and we help each other. Encouragers in the truest sense of the word. See, I can be with one of y'all outside of the context of church, just doing business, eating lunch, whatever it happens to be. And you can say something about what's going on in your life and what God's doing with you, and it brings it home for me, and it gives me something to hang on to when I might not have had it before. Too many Christians live in the solitary, privatized Christian life and dying in the process. How is our fellowship here? We say we're about fellowship. That's part of our purpose, to be encouragers with one another. Give ourselves a grade at that. My evaluation of Crestwood is that there are circles where we get it pretty, we, we do pretty well with it. The problem with it is it's only in circles when it should be the big circle. And basically what I encounter is that there are those people in certain circles of fellowship who do well with each other and they're doing well with each other uh, and somebody walks in and it's like, uh, hey, God bless you. Find a place. We're kind of busy over here. And if a person doesn't come in and make a place for themselves, they're not going to have a place. And we've got to do better with that. We have to do better with that. One of the greatest compliments that we got on a consistent basis in Edinburgh was people would come in off of the streets, they'd heard something, whatever, they'd come in, and afterwards they say, you know what, when I walked into the doors of your church, it just felt comfortable and right. It was like being at home. That's the picture of what fellowship creates in a church. It is a place where all comers have a place. And somebody is going to reach to them with the good news of Jesus Christ. Under God, may that be us. Let's pray. And so, Father, we ask you to help us. First, we ask you to help us evaluate ourselves. How am I doing when it comes to fellowship? Father, help us to see not just ourselves, but look across the room and see people know that they're going through problems. Give us such a compelling vision for who you can be for them that it drives us to their side with the good news. Father, we ask, we don't want the tragedies that force us to do this. We pray that you'd give us the insight to make it so. But if it takes a tragedy, may it be so. We need each other. Help us to understand that, Father. Give us the courage we need to step out of our comfort zones and those comfortable circles that we find ourselves in. Step into the mix with other people for the cause of Christ. Father, I know there are some people here today they can't even hear the challenge of this because they desperately need encouragement. Maybe they came in here thinking, I'm on my last leg. I'm going to give God one more shot. If he doesn't come through today, I'm done with all that religious garbage. Father, help them to hear what John says to us. 
Relationship with Jesus Christ is a life-changing thing. Turns us from being angry and bitter and hard to being loving people. Make it so is our prayer in Jesus' name.